Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to episode number 25 of the Circles Off podcast. I'm Rob Pizzola, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. And this week, a very special guest. We're going to welcome in another professional sports better. Unfortunately for those listening right now, they don't get to see the beautiful mural behind pro sports better Mike Craig of the Roberto Clemente Bridge, which he painted all by himself. Absolutely stunning in the background there. Mike, how are things going? Going well. I am quite the painter. Um, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I, I mean, um, uh, I've known Mike um, for years now from the uh, MIT Sloan Sports Betting or Sports Analytics Conference in Boston. Uh, and we met there. And um, when we first interacted, had a lot of mutual friends. So, so we kind of hit it off and had some great drinking nights just in general. Um, and Mike doesn't do a whole lot of media. So thought this would be a great opportunity to showcase another better that's out there. So Mike, let's get right into it and just let people know a bit of your background, how you got started in betting. Basically, what's your background story? Uh, so so I have, a, I have a math degree and a chemical engineering degree from Penn State. So I've always been pretty good with numbers. Um, in high school, I was always interested in everything. I used to, uh, I actually used to cut out the lines from from the USA Today and make a bunch of copies and I, I would hand out parlay cards. I went to a big high school. So I called it pick five. You had to pick five games. I paid you 20 to one. I think in, I think in four years, I think five people won that. So um, I, I, you know, I was always interested in it. I realized it was a very difficult thing. Um, coming out of college, I, I had dabbled in betting in college. I, I made my first deposit overseas. Um, just like a couple hundred dollars, lost it pretty quickly. Bet with, uh, with a couple of local guys at, at college and didn't ever have any success. Didn't lose very much because I wasn't betting very much at the time. But uh, coming out of school, I uh, got a job and, you know, I was still very into it. I, I'm a very competitive person. I know you've talked about that, Rob, before, where I think inherently, like a lot of professional sports bettors are, are extremely competitive people. Um, you know, you get out of college, you, you're not playing sports anymore. Not that I was playing them in college, but it's sort of natural to, to get into something that, that challenges you. And, and uh, you know, just the, the challenge to win becomes a thing. And, and I never got into this to make money. I just enjoyed it. I like figuring things out. But uh, started getting into Dr. Bob, uh, bought his picks, was reading his free analysis, was buying his picks. Um, and I was really into like the taking advantage of bonuses, taking advantage of bonuses and things like that online. So you had like the, and you had Bodog, you had sportsbook.com, you had Bet Jamaica. I mean, even Pinnacle was giving out bonuses at that point to WWTS, the Greek, Carib, all these places. So I, I, I sort of started with a bankroll. I mentioned this on a different podcast on Ed Feng's podcast um, that my wife had gotten a bonus check at one point and, and, she just gave it to me to put it into an account and kind of let me run with it. So 
I was doing, I don't have an interesting story like I bet $200,000 on teasers or I put my, my net worth on the Lakers to win the title or anything. I, I, don't, I, I was just systematically attempting to build this as, as if it were a larger bankroll, I guess. So doing a lot of the bonus thing, um, Dr. Bob thing. So uh, with the bonuses, I, I actually got to the point where I had like 18, I think I had 18 people under me and I was probably making like a thousand to 1500 bucks a week. I, I just like hired one, not hired, but I was paying one of my friends to, to like call in and redeem all these bonuses. So I did a pretty good job of building my bankroll. I, I went from 5,000. I think I got that up. It was right around a hundred thousand um, dollars when the unlawful internet gaming act hit and that sort of put a halt on everything. So I took that money and I invested into some other things. I, I, uh, I bought a couple of condos to rent out and I started a ticket resale business. Um, then a couple of years later, I, I was always still interested in it. And people started messaging me like about, uh, someone messaged me about Ken Palm and I started looking into Ken Palm and I put my own spin on it and I sort of made his numbers into something I thought was better than what he was doing for projections. And I knew enough, I had never originated before, but I knew enough about what went into making good bet and what constituted a good bet to know that very quickly that I had something that I could at least beat openers with at the time. And, you know, openers 500 bucks at, at Chris at the time. So I, uh, I had most of my money tied up at that point. I had a couple of kids too. So I, I ended up taking up, taking out a home equity line of credit. I sent that over to Chris. I remember being at like a grocery store at a Western <laughs> union, like peeling off hundred dollar bills to send to, to Costa Rica. That's how it used to be, which you, you probably don't know much about, but uh, that's how it used to be. But sent money over there and kind of just restarted the whole thing with building the bankroll. Um, got in red basketball paper which like i said i never had originated and i thought that i was capable but i didn't really know how to start and once i read that book i it kind of gave me a framework to to build off so immediately i went into wnba i wanted to do like a small league and like the first model i built just in like excel it, it was relatively simple and i think it back tested it like 66 percent against the closing line or 68 percent. so I knew that I had, I knew that I had something there and I guess, I guess I just slowly kept adding new things to my repertoire and, you know, you, you keep learning and, you know, I think we'll talk about it later, but I eventually worked with the Raz, I work with Sports Insights, met a bunch of other people, but that's kind of the story of, of how I got started. It's really fascinating. There's like so much to unpack there because you kind of like started in a, in a ways as a bookmaker with with the parlay cards right even though it was like you know little league type of stuff or or whatever and then moving into like the bonus hunting portion and then moving into like i'm going to start originating and i i mean one thing that's very fascinating about the whole story is obviously taking out a line of credit to be able to bet and deposit into other books and getting a uh, your wife's bonus from her day job and putting that towards betting, like obviously at some point you reach a degree of confidence where you're saying, I have something here. And you talk a little bit about closing line value. Like, how do you get to the point of be being a novice better, moving on into like an experience better where one, you do understand that closing line value is important, but two, being able to say, I'm ready to take on some major risk 
in order to be able to get down? Uh, I think, you know, when you're, when you're doing the bonus stuff, you're having to, or, you know, one of the things I would do is pinnacle. If you put in $5,000, they'll give you 5,500 to play with. Not a big bonus by any stretch, no referrals or anything, but then like your smaller books, um, uh, your bow dogs, your carob, your whatever. They're giving you bigger per bet you make had pretty big bonuses. I think sometimes Greek actually had decent bonuses sometimes too. But anyways, what I would do with Pinnacle, I would sign up for an account under someone's name and have $5,500 in there. I would find a line that Pinnacle differed on and I didn't know anything about a Pinnacle lean at the time. Um, so I'd take, I would bet, I would find something where I could just lose all of the accounts at once just because I want to move cycle the money on to the next account and keep the bonus money rolling. So you learn a lot there because you figure out that you never win at Pinnacle. <laughs> or, uh, and so it's like, why am I always, why am I always losing at Pinnacle? And the story is you should be betting the lines that are wrong at these other places rather than, rather than attempting maybe not a, a true middle, but maybe a push push win situation or something um, just to roll the money over. So, so the money always came out of pinnacle one in the smaller accounts. So, so you kind of, you kind of get a sense of, you know, this book's sharper than the other. And then, you know, with all the names I had underneath me, I was giving anybody whose name was underneath me, I was, I, I would give them a cut of course of, of what came through. Um, and then a lot of those people, since we were doing Dr. Bob at the time, and that was, Dr. Bob was, had a couple of really, really good years back then. So a lot of those people would just take the money they made and I'd say, Hey, I'll, I'll just play Dr. Bob's stuff for you. So I was playing pretty big numbers. You know, I'm, I'm playing pretty, pretty sizable amounts at the time. I, like maybe like four or 5,000 a game between all the people I had. But you, you sort of recognize the same types of thing with Dr. Bob. Um, you know, when, when the line moves his way, it, it, it wins more often than not. And when he sees some resistance, it's, it, it, could, it could be trouble or it's a 50-50 play. And I, I, think, I think experience is a big thing. And, you know, a lot of people, I, I, you hear all these people, finance people want to get in this. I say, that's fine. But I just think there's a level of doing this and, and being on the ground floor and, and placing the bets and, and seeing how the market reacts that is a very important thing for I think a lot of the people we know, I, I think it, it's, it's, it's just experience building and, and seeing, basically analyzing markets and seeing how, seeing how the market reacts to your bets that you're placing. So um, I, I don't know if that necessarily answered the question, but I guess, I, I guess when you start handicapping and, and originating, you use all these experience, you draw from these previous experiences where, where you know what constituted a good bet. And I knew, I knew basically, basically I knew when I sent money to Costa Rica, I knew that I was likely going to win. I, I, not with hundred percent certainty, but um, I knew that, I knew that the odds were very much in my favor. Yeah. That's an awesome story, Mike. I, I think I had a very similar thing happen to me just, uh, you know, years later in the sense that, you know, everyone learns slowly the lesson that you don't beat the sharp books. If you're, if you're going to play and then play back, or if you have something that's a full arb or a middle opportunity, more often than not, you are losing at pinnacle. You are losing at Chris and you're going to win on, you know, X square book. So 
no matter how many times you tell people that they don't get it until you actually do it yourself and you realize how do I have to keep depositing into Pinnacle every single time with everything and my other books, they're flush, right? And then you start to realize, oh, these other books will limit you if you win and Pinnacle won't. So, you know, you you, you just kind of come to the realization that there is something here, you know, and then in terms of the closing line stuff you're mentioning, I think that's, you know, you're 100% spot on in the sense that when, when it, it ties in all together, right? When you're beating Pinnacle and you can beat the closing line, then you're going to win. When you're able to bet more is when you're going to lose and that's when you have market resistance. So uh, a good rule of thumb for anyone out there listening who maybe is starting out or ha- doesn't have a huge bankroll is I would say, you know, if you're going to look for a sports book to fund, then probably you're going to want to avoid funding the sharper books and tying up some of your money there. Because at the end of the day, even though they have some of the best prices, if they do have the best price in the market, it's likely not something you want to bet. And I don't know, I don't know about you, Mike, would you agree with that statement? I would agree with that. And I retaught myself that lesson because I, I, a lot of our, I I work with one partner specifically. And then of course we have a a network of people that we work with beyond that, but I have one partner and one of the ways we built our bankroll was uh, baseball team totals. Uh, I made, I made a sheet that, that projected those very accurately. And at first we were just taking all these off screen books and we would try to middle like one, one place would have four and Pinnacle would have four and a half and it'd be five cents juice each way, which is a great middle, but we would lose a Pinnacle literally every single time. And we finally got to the point where we're like, this is just idiotic. It didn't take long, but uh, we, we got to the point where we're like, we're, we're just going to bet as much as we can on, on the wrong way, the non-Pinnacle books, which was always the under, uh, almost always the under. And so, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I did have to reteach myself that lesson uh, a couple of years after the uh, totals, uh, after I started with uh, Chris and the totals and everything. Mike, out of curiosity, I, I mean, I'm in my mid-30s. I didn't really start seriously betting till I was in my late 20s. Um, I'm curious, back in the day, in terms of Pinnacle versus the other shops, was everyone still mirroring Pinnacle as close as they could at the time? Or is that like a lesson that the sports books have learned over the last decade of, well, these are really sharp books. We're just going to copy these lines type of thing. I don't know if I was aware enough to answer that with a hundred percent certainty, but I think it eventually trended that way. Um, I think people were still copying Chris and Chris was still originating, but, right. uh, Pinnacle was definitely considered like, I, I don't think you would consider Pinnacle the sharpest book in everything right now. Um, no, I, I would definitely right. say that. Um, but back then I think, I think pretty much everyone would have said Pinnacle was the sharpest and, and yeah, I, I think you did see books trending towards what Pinnacle had to say, at least the ones that were reputable. Right. right. Because, because I, I'm just very interested in that because Obviously, I don't want to say bookmaking is easy nowadays, but it sort of is, right? Because everybody has a few sharp shops that they can just essentially copy, um, cater to their their player base a little bit more by maybe shading the line towards what they think that the, the square recreational base is going to bet. Um, and I wonder like how far back we have to go to a time where everybody was just kind of running their own numbers rather than you know, just copying everybody else. And, and that's pre that predates me betting, but I, I was wondering if it predated you as well. Um, I, I, there were still books. There were books when, when I was starting 
and they would limit you quickly. But the SIA types, um, right. I, I don't know when SIA came about. It wasn't quite that early, I don't think. But there was there was like nine dot com, um, and they had and Bodog was very square. Um, there was a couple other ones. I don't remember them, but you you could literally make a living just betting underdogs and unders on those sites. Um, but again, they would they would cut you off pretty quickly. But I think if you mixed things in, you'd be a little better off. Um, but yeah, certainly, certainly you're less reputable and the books that catered to squares were, were, I mean, it was, I wish I could go back now. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. You mentioned, uh, Dr. Pa, uh, Dr. Bob, uh, Ken Palm as being good sources back in the day, you eventually building off of Ken Palm. Um, I know that when I was coming up, I was kind of like looking for sources like that, basically someone else to do the work for me where I could piggyback off of that. And I just wonder how much of what you do now is actually your own stuff versus how much you're still betting stuff that isn't yours or or looking at maybe other, whether it's private or publicly available information that you can piggyback off of. Um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't like scour Twitter for peep for picks or anything. I, I it's mostly my stuff. I'd say. I, I mean, I get some soccer stuff. Like my my brother does MLS soccer. Um, this hasn't been this has been his worst year he's ever had. Um, but uh, that's that's historically been very good. I get soccer from a couple other people. Uh, the the golf NASCAR type stuff. Um, every once in a while, like one of the guys you work with would be like, oh, you know this guy's on this or this guy's on this pretty heavy. So stuff like that. I don't, I, a lot of originators don't like to bet. They don't like to bet anything that isn't their own. Um, so I, if it's college football or college basketball or something that I handicap on my own, I would want to filter it and say, I don't want to blindly bet this, but stuff like NASCAR or, or, or soccer, I, I don't know. I just know that it's one in the past and I know that I respect this person. So I will play it blindly. I, there's plenty of things I'll play blindly. I'd play, I'd play your hockey blindly. I don't know anything about hockey. <laughs> not, it's not up for sale or not up for sharing, but yes. My question for you here, I think when you mentioned, you know, a lot of people who originate don't, don't like to play other people's stuff. I think another thing that people who originate um, make a mistake in doing is that they always play whatever line is good to their number. So if you make a game you know, you're like, this is good to minus 152, then any originator, regardless of market, in a lot of cases, make the mistake. A lot of them make the mistake and say, yeah, I'm going to play this to minus 152. So I know you and we've had multiple discussions in person and and you're a really sharp guy. Do you play to your reserve price or is it a mix between playing to the reserve price, but also taking into account like, hey, these numbers might be better here. So let me still try to scrape around and find good numbers. Um, it, it would depend on the situation. There, there'd be a lot of cases where I'm not the type who's, I don't have an infinite bankroll, so I'm not trying to bet $20,000 on, on anything. Uh, well, pretty much anything. (laughs) Um, so for the most part, um, you know, I can, I can fill what I need before I get to the point where I say, oh, I need to go exactly to, to the number, to my threshold or whatever. So I can usually fill it to, to, to where that's not an issue. Um, there, there is smaller stuff where it's kind of like, yeah, I, I would, I would bet it completely to that level. Um, 
I might even go above that level if, if I start to see like the market the market uh, agreeing with me. I might even like if I'm gonna if I say I want to bet over 150 or less in a college hoops game and I see I and I bet at the 150 and I see it go start moving a little more. I might and I'm not filled. I might add a little bit more onto that just because I'm seeing some agreements from someone else. Sharp. Got it. So you started, you started obviously, um, you know, before Rob or I started betting and you mentioned a, a few of the sports books that were big back in the day. I got to imagine it, it was pretty easy back then. Like you mentioned, finding easy arbitrage plays, finding easy middles, uh, between even just pinnacle and these recreational books. I wanted to ask you a lot of people say, Hey, wow, that was the golden age. Now it's, it's kind of hard to win. Do you agree with that? Or, you know, is it still easy to win right now? How have you found it? Obviously it's easier, but what, what are your thoughts on that? I didn't know enough. So back when I started, like I probably started in 2002 or three, I didn't know enough of the tricks to, to do all this stuff at the time. So, I mean, I wish I could go back and, and do a little more of that, but uh, I think the markets get sharper every day. Um, I, I definitely think, I definitely think you see, the major markets, especially, I, I, I and Rob, I, I would think NHL's gotten much sharper. I wouldn't know. I think from talking to people, I know baseball's gotten much sharper. Um, even college football, I can I can see uh, there's just not as much there's not as much that that's off. Um, and and you have to bet earlier now too. Like you used to have. Like Bet Jamaica used to have, I think they had five cent Fridays from like five to six Eastern or something. So you could wait till Friday and bet a bunch of totals and they hadn't moved all week or they hadn't, they hadn't moved significantly all week. Uh, nowadays, it's it, it, when something is off early in, in a major market, uh, college football, whatever, it's, it's sort of a rush to get to that number. And it's like, number's going to, number's going to, it's going to go on Monday morning when, when the, off screens populate and and you just don't quite have as much time so i think that's a challenge that that you didn't have in the past and the numbers are sharper so i think everything's gotten harder in general though so mike has has that changed your betting style drastically because like i i imagine when you started betting in the early 2000s just like everyone else who you know starts their their venture into betting it's probably mostly major markets like sides and totals on games um, before they kind of get into other stuff. I think what I'm particularly noticing, especially amongst the professional bettors nowadays, is there's much more of a willingness to attack different markets, whether that's like alternate lines, team totals, uh, props. Have you naturally noticed yourself gravitating towards those alternate markets as well? Yeah, I, I do a lot with... Uh, I've always been good with like scoring distributions. So so I, I've always been good with team totals and... and and uh, quarters, half times. Uh, so I've always actually preferred that. Well, since I started, since I started figuring out what I was doing, I'd say in 2012, I'd say I figured out college football. It took me a couple of years, but I'd say I figured it out then. I'd say hoops, I figured it out in 2008 or nine. Um, so those are my two main things that I do. There's some NFL things I do that's all that off market type of stuff. Um, but I think. It, you know, with team totals, it didn't used to be like, oh, I can get down multiple thousands of dollars on this. It used to be not all that widely available. Not, not like last week, I there was two games where I, I kind of leaned with a side. I, I leaned with Rutgers and 
under, which both hit. So, so like, I didn't like either enough to play, but then in your head, you're like, well, if those are my leans, then I should hit Syracuse team total under. If, if I like the game under and the other side and that, that those both won. I also like Florida international and over, which both lost, but that would have put me on Florida international over team total. We can, we can edit that one out so that you are only the one. <laughs> I don't, don't want to sound, don't want to sound <laughs> like I'm only talking about the wins. Uh, but yeah, so, so team totals, so team totals can be a better bet, I think. And, and a lot of times you're laying 115 instead of 110, but uh, there's a bigger edge with it. And, and those tend to be shaded upwards very slightly, not, not significantly, but uh, a lot of time, and a lot of times in football, you'll see the key numbers, you'll see 17 and a half, 21 and a half. You won't see 16 and a halves as much, or you'll see, you'll see the key numbers shaded upwards. So, so inherently there's going to be a little bit of a edge on under to things. How about venturing into other sports that are maybe not as common as well? Because you sound, I actually don't know um, what you bet on, Mike, just in general, but from the sounds of things, and especially when we talk in person, you're obviously a big football better, especially college football. And I know you do some college basketball as well. Have you noticed that over the years, um, one, with, like assuming that your edge has been reducing over the years, which it, it does sound like in those major markets that you've been branching out into maybe some less popular sports like WNBA seems to be very popular nowadays. Um, I know you mentioned soccer, which I'd like to talk to you about a little bit more, but, um, maybe stuff that's just a little bit more obscure. Well, WNBA is one of the first things I like truly built. So I've been doing that for a long time and that hmm. that's gotten a lot sharper. It's, 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 uh, it used to be a joke way back. I, I think I mentioned like the first model I make is hitting like 68, 67% against closing lines on toes. I mean, it's ridiculous how easy it used to be. Um, the other thing is now I'm better with numbers and I'm better with matchups and I'm less good at scouring Twitter and injury reports to see who's in and out. And in WNBA, they make way more money overseas than they do playing in the, in the WNBA. So, so the challenge I've seen personally is keeping staying on top of who's in and out of games. And, and uh, it's, it's now that, now that FanDuel actually has contests, fantasy contests for, for WNBA, I actually usually just look there because they seem to have pretty good information, but uh, yeah, I, I got off topic there for a second, but uh yeah, if it's something where a line's on, if I'm going to the casino, I'll I'll like throw numbers together for like lacrosse or something, and just to just like I feel like it's should be easy enough for me to just throw it into a silly or bit like big three basketball. I actually didn't do well in big three basketball this year, but like last year, I did really really well in big three basketball. And you can't bet very much, but you know you, you hit four or five accounts and hit a hit a. Pennsylvania sports book or two, and you've got a decent piece there. So, um, yeah, just, just little stuff and simple models, nothing, nothing too time consuming, just something to, to throw out there to generate a little bit of, a little bit of volume. And, and I used to be a big, like when I, when, when the edges were bigger, I used to be a huge volume better. Like I, I had tons of bets every week. I would bet like first day of college hoops, I'd have 40 or 50 bets on sides and totals. And, College football, first couple of weeks, 25, 35 bets a weekend between side, just straight sides and totals. Um, now I'm lucky to get, like, I actually bet 11 totals this week in college football uh, and a couple of sides. Um, but that's, 
I consider that like a kind of a big week. Um, I usually don't have that many plays nowadays and it is early in the season. So I think there's more subjectiveness that goes into some of that. So, so early season, I, I would expect a little more, but like, as we get into the season, I'd expect maybe six or seven plays a week um, as opposed to the, 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 the huge cards on, on every, every Saturday and in football and then in basketball, I mean, every Saturday I'd have 25, 25 plays and now it's like six or seven maybe. So Mike, I wanted to ask you, so how are you, obviously you're betting a lot of sports, um, smaller market stuff, bunch of different accounts. Like how are you managing all this? Is it uh, technology based manual? Like how are you going through, you know, scrubbing through all these sites, seeing what lines are available, keeping balances in check. Like it's obviously a tough process. Well, I'm mostly doing the originating. So my partner, I'll, I'll just pull lines from a site and, and try to come up with some plays and I'll just send it to him and I'll say, Hey, look for this. And he'll go out and bet it wherever he can. Um, so, so that's kind of general process. I, I'm not, I'm not, I, I guess I used to be semi computer savvy, but nowadays, like I'm, I'm, I'm past my prime with that kind of thing. Like I, I it's a lot of what we do is still manual. Um, like I, I, you know, it's a lot of the accounts we get, people are like, don't use robots on this. So it's like manually hiding your IP address in whatever city and, and betting as much as you can into as many accounts as you can when you find something good. We don't have Mike's partner with us today, but Mike's partner does use Betstamp as well, which he's, uh, he's told me in person for anyone who's shopping major markets. Absolutely need to use Betstamp. That's how we get the plugs in, Mike. We'll keep going. Um, I'm just very interested in in a lot of what you've had to say so far. But um, one of the things, and maybe this isn't necessarily your line in your partnership, but I know if a guy is betting lacrosse into some accounts that I'm giving him, it's very likely that if I'm the agent, I'm going to say, I'm done with this guy type of thing, right? Um, and venturing out into these different markets and smaller limits and things of that nature do you find it a, a battle or a struggle to be able to get enough down and to keep accounts well i think i think one of the things i always had going for me was the volume because i look like a total, total maniac when i'm betting I'm <laughs> True. the entire credit line and a lot of these old school bookies think there's there's no way in hell this guy is going to win in the long run um and if, if we have a good week i'll put a bunch of nfl in just to like, please let me keep this account for a week. Let me, let me give you a little bit back on NFL or, or break even, even better. Um, uh, so it becomes a challenge. And I, I really think now with, with the books in PA, I, that's really what saved me like last year. I didn't have, I didn't have a good set of accounts last year to work with. And, and luckily with, with, I think there was, there's about 12 or 13 sites now in PA. So I was able to get, I was able to, to, to spread that money around enough. And I think if you don't, I don't know this for a fact, but like a lot of times you'll submit a bet on one of these sites and they'll say, Oh, the limits $440. I'll go in and I'll bet it for like 385 to win 350. I don't know if like betting max every time mm -hmm. makes you stick out. So I, I, that's something I do that, I don't know if it helps or not, but, uh, and, you know, eventually I think you end up, if you know what you're doing, you end up getting, and nobody kicks you out they, they, cause they don't want to, they don't want the stigma attached with, Oh, we kick people out. Everybody limits you to, to less than $10 to bet. So, um, 
Which is essentially kicking you out though. Cause it's not, then yeah, it's not worth your time. Exactly. Um, so, um, yeah, I haven't had too much trouble. Um, I, I still have like three or four places in Pennsylvania that, that do all right for me. And then it's usually from guys that help you out, you get like a football season replenishment of accounts. So, uh, yeah, I have, I have some more accounts to work with right now and, um, we'll see how long it lasts, but, but you're right. Like I, I know, I know I had a couple of runs last year on some, some NFL stuff, like uh, team totals and quarters and stuff. And, I, and you're mixing in like some NFL and college too. But funny thing is it always seems if you crush somebody over three weeks and they, they take your account away, I feel like you always lose that next week. Like they'd be better off just like rolling with the punches and like law of averages at some point, I'm not going to hit 80% on, on this stuff. Um, but, but they end up, they end up taking the accounts away. You just, I think it's just a matter of having enough people that are looking out for you and trying to help you get accounts. So that's. Yep. I, I like the, um, I like the idea of not betting to the limits. It's not something that I've personally ever done. And I wonder if it even matters or not, but I think you do try a bunch of like, if you're consistently winning at betting and you want to kind of fly under the radar, there's, there's all these these tips and tricks that you can try. Obviously betting NFL 10 minutes before post on Sunday is the easiest way to go about it because um, no one that, that wins does that. So naturally you're probably able to keep that account for a lot longer. Uh, I know personally in the past, I've, I've only bet overs into specific accounts that I think are, I, I'm at risk of losing. So if I was playing MLB strikeout props, for example, um, I would only play my over edges into the square recreational books because then it looks like, well, this guy's playing seven overs a day on pitcher strikeouts. You know, what's he, what's he doing? And maybe fly under the radar a little bit more. But the limits one is interesting. It's something that I, I will probably try going forwards just to see if there's any longevity there. But I I, I mean, I really don't know. I, at the end of the day, I feel like it's one of those things as if you're winning, you're winning. And these these tricks don't work like they used to. Yeah, and I feel I, I mean I'm sure this happened to you before. The the thing you don't want with your accounts is you play something and then it flies on the screen like someone's betting it out. And I had one today. I, I I was betting East Carolina over in college football and it started moving. So then you then you're like, oh, you know who? Where did I bet this? And you know I've had this account for three years. Like I doubt it was this account. Um, was it? And I hit like I bet DraftKings. Like I, I don't know. You know, you have to be aware of that too, which I'm sure you know. I'm I'm loving this conversation because it's very real and it and it's stuff that we deal with regularly. But there's nothing worse than the wild goose chase of like trying to figure out which account set off the screen just in general. And I've had times where I bet into like casino accounts from some degenerate who like is a losing better in the long run, and and somehow the screen ends up moving. I'm like, how is this even possible? And uh, you know, you pull your hair out for weeks trying to figure it out, but that's kind of like, while it's, it's an absolute nu- nuisance and you'd hope that it never happens, it kind of makes the, um, the experience, like, I, I don't know what the word is, but like, you feel like you're living when that kind of stuff happens. You know what I'm saying? And those are the best accounts to get are the ones that are like, oh, this guy finally quit. He dropped $50,000 over the past three months. Like, it's wide open, everything. Like that's like my dream, but it doesn't happen too often. 
the uh, with the offshore accounts and some of the regulated books where they do have more automated trading teams, I think, you know, betting those not to the full limits, who knows? Like, I, I'm, I feel you there. You're like, oh, well, is this doing anything? I don't know, but I'm going to try it. And then if, if that one, if that one account lasts longer, then you're going to be like, oh, I'm doing this for everyone. But you know what I mean? It's, it's the wild west. You don't even know what's going on. I think the key is if a manual review gets triggered on that account and somebody has to review it in per like someone, a human goes in and looks most likely you're toast anyways. So it's just about, you know, not hitting off the automated triggers that are going to say, uh, Oh, this guy's betting only Wong teasers, like, you know, flag a review or this guy's betting only this, as long as you can, you know, take off those automated reviews, that's probably your best bet. And that's, I had, I had that. Those are the ones I really try on because You'll try to bet 550 and it'll say $267.50 is approved. Send the rest for send the rest in for manual approval. I'll go, I'll exit out of that. I'll just go back in and I'll bet like whatever, two, 240 or, or whatever. It's just something, you know, 20 bucks below the limit where it doesn't get sent along to anybody. I I have no idea if it helps, but I figure it can't hurt. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Like I, I I've been um in the, the war room, so to speak, for a prominent offshore on a Super Bowl Sunday. So I've, I've been able to see how they trade in real time. I think a lot of people give these books way more credit than they deserve in terms of like being able to flag winning betters. And like, there's obviously certain books, which I'm not going to name where it's like, if you have a pulse and you've won two bets in a row, you're going to get limited. And that's, but there's other books that are kind of willing to take a bet over time, but you see, like, I'm in a room for Super Bowl Sunday. I'm looking at a props trader who is basically looking, has to scroll down this massive list to see what the liabilities are on every individual prop. No automated alerts for big bets or anything of that nature. And that was kind of like, this was four or five years ago. And I'm like, why am I taking all these precautions? Like, look at the technology these guys are dealing with right now. Like I, I can maybe just be betting it. So sometimes I wonder if I'm way too conservative in my approach and I'm like, I don't really want to flag this or, or trigger some uh, automated message to a trader that's going to get me banned when I'm leaving, potentially leaving some massive EV on the table by doing that. I think uh, I, I, that's something I kind of learned over the year. I'm still not aggressive enough because there's always that fear of like, this is a good, this is a good shop for me and I don't want to get limited. But I wonder if you ever think the same thing, Mike, where you're just like, you know what, I, this, this is a big edge. I should just keep exploiting this and, and hopefully it flies under the radar for long enough for me to capitalize enough. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's the philosophy that you're going to get limited everywhere. So just attack. Um, and then there's also the philosophy, like, do I, do you, do you bleed them slower and hopefully it's more. And I don't think either approach is wrong. It's probably dependent on the book, honestly, um, at least to a certain degree. Um, but I, it's also, it's also harder to find stuff where you can't, I mean, it's harder to just be able to full out attack and crush somebody right away, unless you're doing it with extremely easy stuff. So, which, which again is like you said, a big, a big red flag. So yeah, I, I don't have a philosophy either way. I, I think I've probably done both. I think I prefer, I prefer to just win. So I guess, I guess I would rather just attack and win and move on. Yeah. I mean, like for, for like, 
if I get a new Buckeye account, for example, with large credit, the first thing I'm going to do is going to bet like five NFL games into it on the Sunday, just because I want to try to preserve this. And I want to create this image that whoever's betting into this account has no idea what they're doing. And I'm like, you know, I constantly think to myself after I place these bets, I'm like, this is minus EV. Should I even do this? Like, is this actually making a difference? Is is there an agent that's actually looking at these bets? To mo- like, the reality is we don't know, right? So we, we have, and that's the nature of this business. Sometimes you just got to take educated guesses. But um, yeah, I mean, that that's the kind of stuff that really tears me up as a better is not being able to quantify a specific edge or, or come up with an EV because there's so much of an unknown. And, and any bookie who knows what they're doing after they see your stuff and the lines move in your favor, they're going, your lifespan's going to be short anyways. So right. it's, and it's hard to find, it's hard to find bookies who don't know what they're doing that are bankrolled enough to, to be able to pay you. So it's, it's this, this struggle all the time to, to, to find the dream bookie that just has endless cash that, that doesn't really care. <laughs> well, well, Mike, you mentioned also playing like, unless you got easy stuff, you said, like, I'm, I'm sure you're referring to like smaller market stuff, but in reality, I think the definition of easy stuff is, is not what it used to be even like a year or two or three ago. And we'll keep saying this, obviously it gets harder every year, but I don't think anything exists right now in its current form where you're ripping off like, you know, 30% edges on, on anything, um, long-term. So even if you're playing the smallest of markets or the smallest of prop markets, like your edge is going to be something in the range of like, you know, 10 to 30%. You're not going to have something where it's like free money because even with a 30% edge, you know, depending on how much you're getting down a 30% edge, one bet a week, two bets, like even one bet a day, there's, you're going to have losing weeks still. So there's no guarantees right now in sports betting where you're ripping off like 60% edges and you're getting 10 bets a day. And like you, it's almost, you know, statistically impossible to have a losing week, you know? Right. And like, like back, back in the early to mid two thousands, um, you know, the 2005 to 2010 range, there was that with like props and like I've mentioned it before, like hockey props used to be like the easiest thing on the planet. You could just bet every single under every night and you would win and there was so much square money before before the unlawful gambling act there was so much square money you they would let you take like a pretty decent chunk of money from them before they took any action and then it kind of got to the point where and this is like only betting props in this account it got to the point where it was like okay we're gonna let you win like i don't know ten thousand and then it got to the point where if the first night you put in only props like you were limited the following day. So it just like slowly dwindled. And, you know, I think that's one of the underrated things about the, that, that gaming act back in, I think it was 2006. Um, it took so much square money out of the, out of the market. And now books were kind of forced to look at the people who were still playing and what they were doing was under a bigger microscope rather than everybody's betting favorites and overs. And, you know, we have enough money to pay. We have enough money to pay this guy that's, that's only betting props. Uh, Mike, uh, something interesting that you, you said uh, earlier uh, was around college football. It's early in the year. There might be a, a little bit more subjectivity in the market right now because of, I guess, the uncertainty with numbers. And this is something that's always fascinated me with originators in general. And it's something I've wrestled with originating sports for a long time because you have certain guys who are just 
I'm going to trust my number type of thing, right? I'm going to model this game. If I make a three-point spread and I'm getting four and a half, I'm going to bet it regardless. There's nothing you can do to this person to get them off of that number. Then there's the people who add in a subjective layer on top of it. Um, And I think I've evolved personally as a better from uh, the former to the latter. And I'm curious how much subjectivity goes into your plays because um, you know, you're talking about what you're, be- what you're betting in college football and it not being the same volume as, uh, as it was back in the day. How much of that is because of this layer of you saying, well, this doesn't seem right to me. I'm going to avoid it. Or maybe, you know, someone who I really respect in the market likes the other side. So I'm not going to play it type of thing. So, um, I, I always say, I, I- I always have this question to modelers. So, so is your goal when you're modeling, is your goal to have, to be as close to the closing line as possible? Are you trying to create a model where an advantage is shown as more of an extreme advantage than it truly is? That's a good question. Like for for me personally, it's more about, I want to be on the right. I want to be able to predict the line movement more so than have the exact closing line. Right. I just need it to be directionally correct. I agree with you. So, so if I make a game minus 10 and the books have it at minus three, that doesn't mean because I'm a winning better doesn't mean that line should be minus 10. It, it, the, the true line is somewhere in between those two numbers. And, and, you know, I think, I think people think, I think people think when you're a professional that, that it means your number is the correct number. It's not. So, so you have to have that in mind when, when you're doing these things. So, so if I show a seven point gap, which, which is pretty rare, um, I, I would, I, I always say like when you get into the season far enough, like, uh, I've said before, like I, I used to model college football and I used to do very well at it. I used to beat almost every line. Um, but all the sites I used are no longer in existence. So I actually hired someone, um, this past summer and we're building a, a model together. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of getting back more into the math, whereas I like to have the math at least as a basis. But I always say, like, if your model shows a 10-point gap in week 12 and it's not, there's not, like, injury-related or and 12 would be a, a completely extreme example, of course. If, if you don't bet that, I say, what, what the hell's the point of having a model? Like, I feel like a gap like that, you have to bet it. Or if you don't believe in your model enough to bet on that, you shouldn't be using it in the first place. So where I would get more into the subjectivity is, and don't get me wrong, I was still looking at that game and make sure that that number wasn't that number because of something out of the ordinary or injuries or, or, or whatever it may be, weather, you know, some, something crazy. But when you get into the five point gap, seven point gap, I'm talking college football totals. If I'm going to show a five or seven point gap, I'm going to look into that and I'm going to say, you know, what can I look at here to see if I'm going to determine if this is a play or not? And like early season, early season, it's much easier. Like I, I mentioned the East Carolina game earlier. Uh, Marshall has a new coach this year. They're playing Marshall at Marshall. Marshall's playing really, really fast this year compared to last season. Um, so there's going to, should be a lot of plays in that game. Uh, Marshall's defense probably isn't quite as good. I made the number last year, 55 and a half. It's 55 this year. So I feel like there's probably 15 more plays in last year's game. That might be a little high, 10 more plays in last year's game you would project. So that additional yardage, um, it just makes for, for an easy decision to, to bet a game like that. And that's kind of what I'm looking for is, is 
things along that line in the early season. Uh, late season, I, I'm going to look at – if something's way off, I, I might say like like the Browns one year – it might have been last year, and I don't bet NFL, but this is just an example. Like the Browns played in bad weather like four yeah. weeks in a row. Three three weeks in a row, and then uh, one week, a couple weeks later, all their wide receivers had COVID, so they had no uh, wide receivers. So, so I felt like their totals were depressed because – because of playing in the, that weather for three straight weeks. So that those are the type of things I, I would look at if I, if I had a big gap or those are the type of things that I would keep a mental note of if I, if I'm watching games and I don't watch a ton of games, but uh, yeah, that those, those type of things, um, you know, co- coaches saying things or coaches uh, changing a philosophical style um, mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe just a matchup where, where this team just, you know, they defend the pass really well. They're going against a team that can't run, I, things like that. And that's built that's built into my models, so right. that should be taken care of. But, uh, um, yeah, stuff like that. In early season, I'm going to be more dependent on that kind of thing in, in football. I, I Basically, totally dependent on that in early season in football. Uh, basketball, college hoops, I'm pretty much all season long. I'm looking at matchups. And this basketball is so easy to make a number on. Um, I, I just think looking at matchups and and knowing how teams play against similar style teams, that's sort of my that's what I do. And it's mostly the small schools that nobody's ever heard of that I focus on. Right. So you're looking for a differentiator, essentially. I, I mean, basketball, you're right. Like every, everybody's just projecting the amount of possessions each team is going to have in a game. They're looking at offensive, defensive efficiency. Like everybody's going to kind of arrive at the same number. So you kind of have to do something to to differentiate yourself from market or potentially gain like some sort of additional edge there. Right. Right. And I, you know, last year I didn't, I didn't do a lot of math. I, I, I've alluded to this before, but like, I, I don't have as much time as I used to have. I have three kids. I, you know, I, I, I don't have the time in the day to, to spend that I used to. So, you know, I, I, at one point last year, I would just, my one friend would call me and I would have nothing in front of me and he would just say, I'm going to read you the games, tell me what you think the line should be. So we'd go through the entire card and then he would just note the games where it was more than a five point gap. And then those usually ended up being the games that, that, we ended up betting on. So, um, and, and it was just from subjective analysis that I had in my head. I, and don't get me wrong. I wasn't betting all of them. If I'm more than five points off and he said, Oh, you're like eight points off on this. I'd be like, oh, I screwed up that guess because of this, this, or this. So Mike, you betting a lot of, uh, futures or anything, you know, full season. Um, I don't like to, I don't like to tie up money that long. Um, I, I usually bet, I bet WNBA futures where I can, um, which they had some win totals out like the day before the season started. I just happened to be at the casino. So I I was able to bet that I did bet college football win totals this year. Um, I don't do a lot with NFL. Um, I usually had some really good college hoops tickets in the past and nothing's ever, nothing's ever come through for me. I had Virginia the one year they were a, one year they were one seed. I had them at a hundred and fifty to one. Uh, was that the year they got upset by the sixteen? Michigan State in the Sweet Sixteen. Oh, okay, all right. But uh, yeah, uh, so that was a really good ticket. I had uh, at Auburn when they they lost to Virginia a couple of years ago. I had them at at uh, between seventy and a hundred to one. Um, a few other good ones, but uh, yeah, those were those were. They have never come through. I. 
it seems like a it seems like a blue blood wins in college hoops every year though it's it's very rare to have any chance yeah. of winning those so is what it is yeah um i want to talk about what you mentioned earlier and and venturing into soccer a little bit which um is a, is kind of unique i don't really have a lot of people around me that wager on soccer regularly granted it you know was mostly um, you know, up until the last few years where MLS is starting to grow, uh, especially in the U S and Canada as well. Um, there's not a really a lot of North American interest, but for me personally, I've always thought about soccer because you, you know, you look at the amount you could get down on a soccer game and it's exciting for like, now there's obvious reasons why sports books will, will take an amount on a soccer game. But for me, you're competing against probably the sharpest betters in the world and syndicates of like 40 quants and even more than that, who are just like have access to unlimited data and basically can do like whatever they want to come up with a number, tons of money behind these. And uh, that's why I'm really interested in your venture into soccer, but I'm also interested in, in like, how do you try, how do you gain an edge in a sport where you're competing against that type of brain power? I don't do any soccer personally. So this is all my brother does it. He's been doing it for a long time. So it's not, it's not necessarily a new thing for us. He's just always been an MLS fan and the MLS market. I almost feel like we have it to ourselves. Um, I don't feel like uh, lines tend to move when lineups come out. Um, if, if a major guy is, is not in a starting lineup, a line will move, but, and they don't seem to have done that well this year. Um, or last year, really, I, I think it was last year. wasn't very good, but, but most of it is, most of it is just, and my brother's not a math guy. This is most, mostly subjective. He's watching every single game. Like there's an MLS live package. You can watch it whenever you want. So he's watching every single game. Um, I think you get, even if you're not a math guy, you kind of get a sense. It should, this line should be two and a half on these two teams play. This should be three juiced over. Um, you get a sense for that, whether you're, whether you're a math guy or not, if, if you're good enough at it. So that's kind of where it goes. And it's just, you know, MLS isn't like a high profile league worldwide by any stretch. So right. I, don't, I don't feel like I'm competing against any of these groups that you're talking about. It doesn't appear that I am at least. Um, and yeah, it's, I mean, there's international friendlies and the three best players on one team will be out. I mean, Seattle this year had like, seven starters out the one game of course we bet against them at lost but uh yeah it had like seven guys out and the line it's adjusted but not enough and so so it's not it's not a math thing i mean you'd, you'd approach it from a completely analytical angle we're approaching it or i'm not approaching it anyway i'm just betting it but uh yeah, he's approaching it from a totally subjective angle. And, you know, he, I think he's been doing it eight or nine years. Like I said, this has been his worst year. He had one other season where he lost like two units. And other than that, I think he's averaged, I, I don't know, but I would guess 15 units a season. So, I mean, that's decent supplemental income. And it's not that hard. Some of the off screens have, have it a ton of vig in it and juiced heavily. But, uh, in general, like it's, it's not too bad to get down and uh, it doesn't really move. And it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's been a good thing long-term. So 
Yeah, you've essentially found a market that a lot of professionals are not focused focusing their attention on. It's it's kind of like where where I found my edge in NHL five years ago, right? It's like you know it's, the starting goalie is changed to a backup who should be priced. I don't want to speak in terms of cents and or we could do percentage points, but this guy's significantly worse, and the line is not moving here. Like, what are we doing, people? Now it's not like that in the NHL anymore. But yeah, I felt for a long time like. I'm just betting into a market that nobody else is paying attention to. And because of that, I have a significant edge. I tried hockey before. I, I, I tried hockey at one point. This is, I don't know, this is probably eight years ago. And I, I made this model and I, I, don't, I don't have the computer skills to do player level stuff, which I think is a major hindrance <laughs> at this point. Uh, maybe I thought it was worthwhile eight years ago, but I remember building the model and I back tested it and I, back tested one season first I was plus like 45 units I was like holy hell like this is good and then I back tested the previous two seasons and it was like minus 63 units combined so I was like eh, <laughs> back to the drawing board here so I, I kind of gave up on hockey I've always been better at the point spread sports than the, than the money line sports for whatever reason yeah I mean everybody has the things that work for them and things that don't and sometimes it just gets in your head as well where if you subjectively feel like you're better at certain things but from like a mathematical perspective, it doesn't even make sense. It's just all randomness. Like a lot of times we just get carried away with these small samples and we're like, oh, I, you know, I always seem to lose when I bet on, you know, home teams in this league. And it's like a dozen bets. <laughs> but that's like, and I know I, I actually heard you talk about this on Ed, Ed Fang's podcast before, which actually people should check out. Um, I'll give it a plug as well, because I think Ed does a great job with his podcast. But you talked about hating losing just in general and kind of getting into these spirals where you just, you know, people are tailing you, you're working with a partner and just absolutely hating that side of things to the point where it affects your mental capacity in some state. And I've been there and we talked to Rufus a couple of weeks ago and he's been there before. And I wonder if that's something that has improved for you over time. Um, if there's anything that you do on a personal level to get around that, um, just kind of take us through that experience when you're you're going through a losing stretch. Um, so I, I think when you when you start and you go through losing streaks, it's it's different. And then, but when when this becomes like a job and there's an expectation that you're going to win money, um, it, it sort of takes the fun out of it, I guess, a little bit. Um, when there's that expectation of winning, not all the time, but winning more than you're losing. So losing streaks, I think, become difficult to handle. And I, I always, I know that it's part of it. And I have, I have the personality type generally to, to handle it pretty well. I'm laid back. I don't, I don't really, you know, I don't, I don't drive a nice car or anything. Like I, I, I just like to gamble. Um, <laughs> deep down, I just, I'm just like a degenerate that happened to be smart enough to, to, figure out how to win at certain things so um but the losing for me was it, it's more it was worse for me like when I worked at Raz I, I remember I, I always ran pretty well at Raz I, I had there was one season that I worked there where the service was down um and I I was down slightly as well um I remember having like I, I ran pretty well when I first started there and I remember having like an 0-5 day and being like oh my like Ed's gonna think I'm a jackass and like don't worry about it. like everybody happens to everybody but I was so green and new I, I didn't like I felt like it was making me look stupid but when I would really feel bad about it 
I, I went, after I worked with that, I went to Sports Insights and I did their picks for a couple of years. And I had, I had one really bad college football season. And I, like, I lost more sleep over that than anything I've, probably anything in my life. Um, I just couldn't. And, you know, one of, the hard, one of the hard parts about selling picks or giving picks out is when I was in Sports Insights, I wanted to wait until later in the week to release because I knew it wasn't like a clientele like Razz's. It was, it was a square clientele where I didn't know if they had the outlets to better or whatever. So, so I, thought it, I thought I should release it later in the week. So I can't remember if I was releasing on Wednesday night or Thursday. But at the beginning of the week, like you have, you have 10 bets and five of them, the market moves your way and five of them are pretty stagnant and don't move much. So when it comes time to release, do you release the five that have moved your way or do you release the five that haven't moved at all? And apparently that year I did a really shitty job of determining what to release because I had, I had a decent year betting, but I'm giving out just loser after loser after loser. I think I had like a five week span, four week span maybe where I was, I mean, I was like, I was like five and 16 or something. And I just, I felt horrible. Like, I feel horrible about that. It's one thing for me to lose money, but like when you know that someone's paying for, for like, I'm getting paid to provide these terrible picks. So I felt like Dan Fabrizio's paying me money. And I like, at one point, like there was some confusion with, with an account, like where I was supposed to get the money sent to. And I like, felt, I like didn't even want to ask Dan for the money. I'm like, I'm getting absolutely crushed. And now I got to ask this guy <laughs> to pay me. Like I, it was just, it was like embarrassing. So it's more the, and that's, I think that's the hard part. I think that's the hard part of putting picks out there is the, the and you mentioned it on Twitter, the negativity and, and all that comes along with, and I think Rufus felt when he was on ESPN for those, he wasn't on very long, I don't think, but I think he just had a bad run of picks. And yep. I know that it ate at him. And because we all, we all have egos as sports betters, like who, who, who I remember taking a tour of a sports book in a major sports book, just like you said, in, in Costa Rica. And he's like, well, this is the room where all our modelers are. And I'm like, I'm one person and I'm trying to beat like these 18 people that are going to be sitting there. Like you right. have to have an ego to some degree to, to be able to think you could do that. Um, so, so it's humbling when you go on these losing streaks. And I think it's more of a, the, the money you know, you'll, you'll have days where you'll make it back eventually. You know, I, I, the worst day I ever had in college football, we were like, I remember we were like, this is in October. I don't know what year, 2015, maybe, uh, 2013. I don't know, several years ago, but, uh, I just remember we were like three and 15 or something. And we had like six night games. And I, I said to my partner, I'm like, ah, you know, maybe we'll go six and L on these and, and this will turn around. We went 0 and 6. I mean, we were like, yeah. <laughs> and we, we always say, like, we're never going to mention that day again. But, you know, over the next three weeks, we actually made all the money back from that day. So you just have to, you have to have the bankroll to make it through that. And you have to be disciplined enough to not be betting like an idiot where you're, where you're overextending yourself. Because if you do have the edge, eventually you're going to make that up, and it's just a it's a short term glitch, it's variance, and it, it happens to everybody. Yeah, just as I mentioned earlier, even in this podcast, with the the small percentage edge that you might have, like there's going to be losing weeks, there's going to be losing months, unless you're at a volume 
you know, spread so far across that, you know, you're reducing your variance, you're going to have a losing month. And it's so painful sometimes. But at the end of the day, you just have to remember, like, listen, I got crushed. It happens. It's happened before. It'll happen again. Let's move on long term. You know, let me focus on the things that are going to make money and continue to do so. And it sucks. I, I completely feel you. The one thing where I guess we don't differ is like in the pick selling thing where if it's like, yeah, anyone could lose their own money. But when you lose someone else's money, I can only imagine how bad that that would feel when you're already in the dumps that day for losing your own money. And now you're dealing with, you know, additional stress and additional things that are you know, going through your head. Yeah. And that's why I, I've never I actually, you know, when I was on Ed's podcast, he asked me about Twitter. I was looking just in case you guys asked me. I actually had a Twitter back in the day. I totally forgot about it, but uh, I had a Twitter and I looked at it last night and my last post was exactly 12 years ago tomorrow. So, wow. Um, yeah. I- <laughs> Mike Craig, 69, 69, 69 on Twitter for those who want to follow. <laughs> do you know, do you remember the book Cascade? I, honestly, Mike, I, I don't read. Like unless it's going to, unless it's going to help me get better at a skill, I don't read. So Beth Cascade, there was a guy that there's a guy that ran. His name was Lenny. Wait, he means the sports oh, book, Rob. I'm I'm so out of it right now that I'm like I'm like, what's this guy asking me about for for a book? No, I don't remember Cascade. That's well before my time. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, Rob just Rob just outed himself. <laughs> Rob just, I just he doesn't read myself books so hard, and, and he he books. just admitted to everyone he's not an intellect. He doesn't read books. But there was an account Beth Cascade, and ended up. I ended up stiffing a bunch of people and I had a lot of money in there at the time for me. Um, and, and I ended up talking to the owner, this Lenny guy. And he was like, well, just email my personal email. And I said, okay, give it to me. He was like, it's Lenny6969 at hotmail.com. <laughs> Something like that. I, I hope I didn't just give out a 69420 at hotmail.com. <laughs> right, right. You got to have a 420 in there too. That's the classic. Um, okay. I, I'm Mike, you, you know, you went from, from handing out parlay cards in high school to, um, you know, bonus hunting, like how, how do you get involved with right angle sports? Cause obviously a huge service. Um, was there a pre like pre-existing relationships you might've had with Ed or anyone else there where you discovered, how did that all come about? So, so I had no pre-existing relationships. So, uh, you know, back to the Dr. Bob stuff. So Dr. Bob, when I, when I was subscribing to Dr. Bob, he had, he was only giving out sides, but he was giving out score projections for every game. So I, I mentioned before, I, w- I was betting for a big group of people, like all my bonus whores, like were, were giving me money. And so I was putting in bets and I, I started to just use Bob's score projections to bet totals. So when I, so every week I would say, here's our totals. And we were killing it on that stuff. So at the bottom of my email, I would, I would, I would sign it, Mike, King of College Totals, Craig. And so I, I went on the RX, it was an old form, it's still around the RX. So I'm on the RX and I'm very uncreative with everything. So I'm like, I don't know what the hell to call myself. Like, so I call myself King of College Total. Um, and I just started posting like WNBA. Uh, I started one year, it was either 17 and two or 19 and two. I started one year in WNBA back when it was simple. And I was also posting like score projections for college hoops games based on the stuff I was doing at Ken Palm, which in hindsight, if someone did that today, I'd be so pissed off. But uh, I didn't know, I didn't realize I was ruining anything for anybody. So, um, I think Ed messaged me, well, I know Ed messaged me on the RX, but for some reason, like I didn't log into the RX for like 
a month. So I actually went in, I logged into, I logged into, this is probably 2000, I think this is 2008 or nine. Uh, I think it was nine. Uh, 2009, like early in the year. So I'm not on the RX for like a month or two. And I go in and I log in and I have a private message and it's from Edward and it's like a month old. And I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. Like I, I post all this stuff to get like a break like this. And now, and now I, I, I've blown it. So I message him back. I'm like, man, I'm sorry. I haven't logged in here in a while. Like I'm super interested in possibly, and he said, you know, looking to get better at math at Raz, looking to have more of a, more of a math spin on things and have better numbers. Uh, impressed with what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. So I messaged him back and I said, uh, yeah, you know, I super interested and we came to an agreement and I started in on college. Who I didn't do WNBA that year with them. I started in for the college hoop season. And uh, basically, basically we had a shared Google document and I was just putting score projections in there. Um, and then I, I I had, so, so I, and the payment structure was, I got a, I got a free roll on every RAS play. I got a small amount of guaranteed money for providing numbers. And then I had, and then I could, I could submit plays to him that I thought should be releases with a write up. And then he would filter those. And if he chose to release anything, he would release it. So um, I was, you know, I, I remember, I remember talking to him when I started and I was, I had a job at the time and uh, I was like, I'm just going to quit my job. Cause like, this is what I really want to do. And he was like, no, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I, I praise him for being honest up front and, and, you know, him probably thinking I'll, I'll, you know, this guy, I'm taking a shot on him and, and we'll see where this goes. But, uh, I ended up and, and I, I started out very well there. I, I, I gave myself a cushion at the beginning where I hit, I don't remember what percentages I hit, but I'm sure for the season, this is college hoops totals 12 years ago. So it wasn't rocket science. Um, but I started out very well and, uh, ended up, I don't remember what I ended up for the season, but I, you know, I know that I, and we were talking about it. You, you met Mike from Raz at, at Bet Bash. Um, and I got like my first little stack of money from him. That was my first stack of cash I got. I had withdrawn before, but it had always gone into, it, it was, it was never, uh, it went in a net teller and sites like that. I had never like gotten a, a stack of cash. So that was my first stack of cash I got. And um, yeah, so that's how, kind of how I got started there. And that's what I was doing. And then uh, I was there for, I was there, I left in January of 2013 and I actually didn't leave on the best of terms. And that's one thing I always, I always regret. I, I just was kind of, you know, I wouldn't sit, be sitting here talking to you if it wasn't for Edward and the chance I got there. So, so I'm very grateful um, for what, for him taking a chance on me. Um, but, you know, I think, I think it was just a breakdown of communication and there was a lot of things going on behind the scenes and it wasn't just Mike and myself and Ed, there were, there were some other people involved. Um, but I, at one point, like I was on the website. So, so there was Mike Raz, who was the one you met. And then I was Craig Raz. I was actually listed as a partner on the site, but I kind of just got, I guess I kind of got frustrated because you sort of outgrow, you sort of outgrow your, a free roll type of situation. Like, 
when you're when you're when you have a job like that or when you're getting paid like to do that part of that is you know tell me what you like but then you can't fully bet that i can't hit the screen because i can't move the line so it sort of became it sort of became a hindrance of uh you know of bankroll growth and i you know i don't know it was better getting paid by ed or, or betting on my own but uh you know i i i i guess it kind of went wrong with um I felt like I wanted to be working with Ed and not for him. And I always felt like I was working for him, despite the fact that I was like listed on the website and everything. And in hindsight, and I should have just communicated that to him. But what ended up happening is some, some of the other guys um, within Raz, we started talking a little more and doing some betting. And, you know, I thought I should have been privy to more of the, Raz information like I didn't know what the releases were I, I got a free roll in the place but I didn't know what the releases were going to be ahead of time um and and Ed at the time I I uh Ed was always very guarded and didn't really trust anyone and I didn't I didn't really get that at the time and you know as I get older and you deal with people stiffing you and you find out how people really are in this business it, it it makes more sense as you look back as to why he wasn't fully open. So, you know, I think there was just a breakdown of communication and a couple of the guys left the team. I ended up staying on in 2012, which, uh, and I was doing football at that time, college football at that time with him too. And, and I don't know that he trusted my stuff at that point. Cause that was really the year that I sort of figured it out, but I had a, had a really good year in football that year. Uh, 2012 was actually my best year I've ever had overall. Um, I had like a week, I, I just, I just looked last night just to prepare for this podcast. And, and I had, I had like a 22 week stretch where I, I won 20 weeks and two of those, the two losing weeks were like down barely anything. So I had a really good year that year. And in college, I, that's the year, I think I was probably Raz's best year. I wrote down the record here. Raz that year we ran, it was just sides only. There wasn't totals that year or widely available totals in that year. I think it was just TV games, but Raz was 90 and 52 that year. Holy jeez, 63.4%. And variance working in your favor, the randomness working in your favor that year. Yeah. And like my stuff that year was 69 and 44. So I had a really good Craig 69. (laughs) Right. There you go. Um, So I had a really good year that year. I think my football record that year, I think they only did eight weeks. I think I was 35 and 24. I couldn't find that. But that that sticks in my head. So almost 60% in that. So I had a really good year. And at the end of that year, I think I think Ed still had some hard feelings uh, from what had happened in the past. And I didn't I had barely any communication with them that year. So um, we just kind of at the end of that, uh, at the beginning of 2013, just kind of went. Well, I went my separate way. He, he stayed, of course, with with his stuff, of course. So um, but yeah, I. I I always regret how how that went down because I am I am grateful for that opportunity and and uh, I it's I miss talking to it. I, I still I still chat with that every so much yeah that's what I was gonna like has the relationship been amended are you guys on on good terms now yeah I think I think Ed and I Ed's more introverted than I am um, I'm introverted you probably don't know that because I'm no because every time I see you you're drinking a beer and you're very jovial about it yeah, yeah I, it's, I'm, I'm alcohol induced extroverted when, I, <laughs> when I'm around you but uh, I'm generally a pretty 
introverted guy. Like I don't like to leave my house. I don't like talking to that many people. And, uh, um, so Ed and I were similar in that way. Um, but I, you know, I think, uh, yeah, we've, we've talked, we've talked a few times. I definitely think we're cordial with each other. Um, I really like Mike from Raz. I hadn't seen him. We hung out the night before bash that bet bash. We hung out in New Jersey at a, at a mutual friend's beach house. It was awesome. Um, had a really good time with them, but it's always, I, I'm sure you feel the same way. Like it's the nice thing about going to Boston for MIT or going to something like Bet Bash. Like you probably don't have people in your normal everyday life that you can converse with and, and that can relate to, to the things that you do on a daily basis. So I think, you know, I, I just, I miss, uh, I just miss the, the interaction and I, I wish yep. it was more when I was there. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't know what the future holds for Raz. I don't know if he's going to do the service forever or, or, you know, I don't know what his team's like now. I will say I do get, I do get insulted when he says this is the best team they've ever had because I, <laughs> I, I want to feel like that the couple of years we had together, like we had a pretty damn good team. Um, so, and, and I don't get me wrong. I know, I know Jeff, I, I don't know him. I, I met him and hung out with him one time in Vegas when we were both there when he was, I think I probably was still with Raz. But he's a really nice guy, sharp guy. So I had nothing but good things to say about those guys. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, I think it was time for me to move on. I just wish I would have done it in a more uh, amicable fashion, uh, so to speak. It's very honest of you. Uh, nice for you to, to air it all out there because, um, yeah, I mean, that's just a, an interesting story. And, um, I don't think that's been discussed or, or, uh, in a public forum before. So really appreciate the honesty, Mike. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, I, I hope that you can, that you and Ed end up on great terms because I talk to Ed pretty frequently. Um, I've never met him in person before, but I, I think he's a great guy just in general. I, I like you both. So, uh, I just hope that relationship is, you know, doesn't deteriorate. No, we're not. We're not in a bad spot. I mean, we still chat back and forth. And uh, especially like if I'm losing, I'll be like, hey, you know, are you guys like at the beginning of this WNBA season? Like first thing I asked Mike when I saw him, I'm like, hey, are you like losing all your big bets at the beginning of the season? He was like, yeah, we were. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, it's nice to get the it's nice to know that you were on the similar stuff at least when you, when you're going through a losing streak and you weren't just misreading the, the entire market or anything. So, but I think I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think we're on bad terms at this point. I, I, I don't want to portray it like that. I just wish, I just wish it would have ended a, a little better. And I think, I think all that needed to happen is better communication. So um, that's, and that's a lot on me. So. Mike, I'm going to ask you a question uh, that wasn't on the, I sent you an outline before we did the podcast. I purposely didn't put it on there because I wanted to get a spontaneous reaction from you, but we talked about a hypothetical with Preston last week. Um, and I'll ask you the same question because I think this is fascinating just to hear different people's answers. Uh, and we've heard all sorts of different answers in regards to this question, uh, especially those who listened to the podcast last week, messaged the Betstamp account, messaged me personally, just in general. But let's say, hypothetically, you have a coin flip to win a billion dollars, one billion. So your EV on that coin flip is $500 million. What would I have to pay you? What amount of money would you accept 
to sell me that coin flip? So, so I'm thinking about my answer more <laughs> and, uh, I, I would take less than the, than the EV amount because okay. it would be life-changing money. I mm-hmm. mean, I mean, 10 million would be life-changing money. Plus I think, I think, uh, I mean, 5 million would be life-changing, 1 million would be life-changing. Um, I think you could take that money and invest it. So I wouldn't say 500,000 or 500 million. I right. would say it, it would be, man, uh, 10 What's million. What's the lowest? The lowest absolute 10 million, It seems like I'm giving up so much EV to take 10 million. Right. But, but the thing is, if I put that $10 million briefcase in front of you, right, just with the cash, like who, there's not a lot of people that are turning that down, even though there's a chance of a billion. <laughs> it's a tough one. I think the gambler in you wants to say more than what the what your heart is going to say. Um, so I, I think it. I think I'm probably. It's probably a dumb answer, but I think I'm in the. I think I'm in the five to ten million range. All right. I mean, that's a fair answer, and it's it's not it's not uncommon either. I mean, the the true. I don't want to say degenerate answer, but like the true gambler's answer is, I'm not selling the flip. I'm going to flip the coin, right? I'll take my 500 million EV. And, but like the, even the five, like that's the true gambler's question, uh, answer, which is like, I'm not even asking for 500 million for the flip. I'm going to flip the coin. Like, yeah, let me, I didn't give my answer last week. I want to, I want to give my, my rationale behind this. Cause I really do like this question. I think for me, there's only three acceptable answers. Now, I don't mean to be judgy or whatever, but I think there's only three acceptable answers and I'll, I'll break them down into buckets for everybody. Okay. So acceptable answer one is for somebody who approaches this question and says, I'm, I'm struggling right now. I don't, money is very important to me and will help change my life. Um, and getting some amount of money is going to be super valuable. And in which case I don't care about the EV at all. I just want some money that's going to help me out. And I think for 99% of the world, they should be willing to take something in the range of twenty dollars to $100,000 in order to help them. So, you know, a 50-50 shot at a billion obviously is awesome, but having an extra 100000 that can get you out of debt and get you, you know, off the street, so to say, I think that is an acceptable answer for a lot of people. And I would say it's a good answer, okay? Second, you have kind of the same mentality that Rob said, which was, you know, listen, I have a good job. I like what I'm doing. I'm not on the street. I could feed my, my wife, my kids, whatever. But the reality is I would like to, you know, retire, be set for life, do whatever I want for life. In which case Rob's answer, and I'll challenge him right now. Cause I think he said something like 25 million. I think that's not even an acceptable answer because if you want to be set for life, 25 mil, there's no instance in which that could be your walk away. Because if you're willing to accept 25 mil, then you're also willing to accept 24 mil. And then also probably 23, 22, 21. So I'd say, you know, a million dollars to $10 million, whatever your actual walk away would be that you're saying, if I get this money, I'm set for life, I'm good, and I'm gonna enjoy that. And then there's the third train of thought, which is $1 billion can help change the world. $1 billion can, it can do anything. It's not about being set for life. It's not about being financially free. It's about getting to a spot where, you know, you could do real things with that money. And in that scenario, I think 
the acceptable answer is you say, I'm flipping unless you give me above my expected value. Because at some point, you know, like if someone offered me 750 million and I'm flipping, like it just doesn't make sense for me to not take the expected value bridge. So I'd say I lean more towards that last answer where I would kind of want to flip it, to be honest. Um, But at, at the same time, I do appreciate those other two answers. So Mike, what, what you said, I think is like very acceptable in a sense where you're like, listen, I'm that that's life-changing money. I'm going to be set for life. I'm going to do what I want. Like I'll take somewhere in that range. I think that's, you know, a really good answer. And are you trying to change the world? (laughs) This podcast is not, it's not about that. I'm not going to go into like ambition and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I, no, I don't have a plan of how I'd change the world for, with a Mike, billion dollars. Mike, he just dollars, wants but... to say that he's a billionaire. That's all he wants to no, say. No, no, it's, it, just... it's not even about that. If I wanted to, if I wanted to be a billionaire, I, I would accept like three hundred. I would accept four hundred million or three hundred million right. because you you could invest, invest that it. and you'll become a billionaire anyways. Um, I, I just think and listen. At the end of the day, all of this I'm saying is a hypothetical. No one will ever have this opportunity. It's just a made up question to get people thinking. And at the end of the day, like if someone like Rob said, like if you're there and I'm about to flip that coin and someone's like, here's a hundred million in a briefcase, I might turn that down. I would like to think that I, that I am turning it down and I'm going to flip, but, but am I, you know, you, you will never know unless you're actually in that scenario with the money on the table, with the coin in your hand and you have to make the decision. I think the hypothetical numbers are always high because it's a hypothetical. And when presented that in a real life situation, your number is going to come down. Like for me, yeah, 25 million. You're right, Johnny. Like if somebody, if, if somebody, if I'm at the bargaining table, I say, I want 25 million and someone's like, well, here's, I'll give you 10. Like my natural inclination is going to be like, I'm not going to do it for 10, but I'll do it for 20. And they're like, no, I'm offering you 10. I'm going to be like, okay, done deal. I'm taking the 10. Like that's what's going to happen. And I think that like, we've heard it. We went, we went to dinner at, at Tao in New York where we are some other pro gamblers who are like, I do it for 450 million because, you know, I can't, I can't deal with, with giving up so much EV. It's like bullshit. You're doing it for 450 million. Like you're telling me if someone didn't come up, bring that number down to a hundred or had a hundred million dollars on a table, you're not going to take it. Like out of principle, you're going to flip that coin. There's no chance. So, well, uh, cause that's the thing on the mentality. Like if you're willing to take a cut on EV and accept 450 million, then there's almost no scenario in which you wouldn't accept 449 million. Yeah. Right, right. I agree with, I agree with totally with what you're saying. If you take 25, you're going to take 20. Yeah. The, like, there, there's a point where EV just, it doesn't matter anymore. Like the, I, I understand I'm a big math guy in general. I completely understand. Like if we did this same coin toss with a, with it being a chance to win a hundred dollars, then the numbers are going to be very different right? Because I'm not taking anything less than $50 because that money doesn't matter to me. But you get to a point where the money no longer, like the difference to me between 10 million and 25, while there is definitely a difference between $15 million, it's not as big as one would think. There's not a whole lot more that I can do. Right. And I, I feel like if you got, like, I feel like if you got half a million, that's not enough to that's not enough to set up your kids and for the, for the rest of their lives. I mean, shit, that's barely enough to pay for college now. Uh, so like, 
I feel like it's got to be more than that. Um, I feel like it's got to be seven figures. Yeah. You know what, Mike? You're a true stand-up guy because the first thing you thought of was setting up your kids for the rest of their lives. And that's like, that's a, a class act right there. Mike Craig, even though you have 69, 69, 69 at the end of your Twitter, you're still a class act. Thank you. <laughs> um, we're going to ask you the closing question. We ask this to every guest. Um, we've got a variety of different answers. It's always interesting to gain some perspective or just their general thoughts. But Mike Craig, if you could go back five years, talk to a previous version of yourself, what piece of advice would you give your old self? From a gambling perspective or from a life perspective? You know what? That, no, we haven't really been asked that, I guess. Up to you. Dealer's Up, choice. Dealer's choice. Yeah. Well, from a, I guess from a, from a gambling perspective, five years, I, I, I think I'd tell myself to get paid out in Bitcoin um, rather than cash. Um, <laughs> so uh, from a gambling philosophy standpoint, I wouldn't really, I feel like I've, I don't feel like I feel like my growth was more prior to 2016. If I could go back further than that, I would. It would be have more confidence in yourself, bet more, um, bet the bigger edges more, um, instead of I, I, I tended to flat bet, I guess a little bit. Uh, not 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 completely flat bet, but uh, too flat. So I, I would I would vary my bet sizes more. I bet more parlays when I had a big edge. Um, I would. I would accumulate Bitcoin and that, that's pretty much it. I guess, you know, we talked about the Raz thing, I guess from that perspective, I would, I would probably, I, I've always kind of prided myself in being able to look at things from a long-term perspective and not think about short-term. And I think I probably lost sight of that a little bit in that situation. So I would probably from a, from a life perspective, probably go back and tell myself, like, think about, five years from now, 10 years from now, don't just think about right now. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. Don't, don't be so hard on yourself when losing streaks. Uh, yeah. Th things like that. I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think that's probably about it. That's a great answer. I mean, we asked for one piece of advice. He gave us like about a dozen. So, I mean, just, I'm just joking around, but it's, I think three I mean, or four people have said, uh, get paid out in Bitcoin or yeah, everybody in regrets not getting in. Well, the funny thing is about Bitcoin, like anybody who bought it at $100 or $200 probably has none of it now. Um, or anybody who bought it $3,000 probably has none of it now. So, so it's kind of this thing where everybody regrets it. And I, I had some and I got hacked and then I got rid of it. So, um, or most of it. So, um, yeah, but it's it's easy to to second guess those kind of things. I, I wish I had Ethereum. I was more a believer in Ethereum than Bitcoin, actually, and it was so cheap. And I I always looked at the ratio of Bitcoin to Ethereum, and and I just kick when Bitcoin goes up to fifty and Ethereum's still at two hundred dollars. I'm like, well, why didn't I buy like a lot of it? <laughs> you know, you know what's really funny, Mike, is I have a feeling like. 10 years from now, we're still going to be going to Sloan or some conference and we're going to be meeting up and we're going to be having this exact same conversation. And we're going to be like, why did we not buy Ethereum when it was like $3,000 <laughs> or, or Bitcoin at you know 45000 or whatever, right? That's just kind of the way it's been going. You're probably, we'll be talking about millibitcoins at that point, right? MBCs and yeah. We can, we can hope. 
Yeah, uh, Mike, uh, do you have anything to promote? I mean, uh, I, we just, I don't think you do. I like, can't even hand out a, normally I'd end this podcast with giving out the guest Twitter handle or whatever. Like where, where can people find you? I guess they can't. Uh, I, my Twitter handle, since I'm completely unoriginal, um, my Twitter handle is just MJC257. And I guess maybe I'll probably post for two weeks on it and then never post again. But uh, it is, it, I'm logged into my phone there. So I suppose if anybody would want to, private message me on there. It's MJC257. That was my Penn State student ID. Um, All right. Let's get Mike Craig some followers on Twitter at MJC257. Really appreciate the time, Mike. Uh, thanks Wait, for I just went to his Twitter, by the way. His last tweet, he said my last tweet was, was uh, what did he say, 12 years ago? It is, first off. It's actually 12 years ago tomorrow. He gave out a pick. Seattle and Los Angeles Sparks WNBA total under 137. He also likes Atlanta over Detroit series price at minus 125 or so. We got to go back. Someone's got to go back and see if those won 15, 12 years ago. So, so 2009 LA Sparks season, that's what we're looking at right now. Yeah, there's a few picks. It probably lost. Johnny, how old are you? Were you like, you're definitely a teenager when that was posted, right? Back in that, yeah, definitely uh, was, oh, man, who knows if I, I, I think I, by that point, I'd probably place like, maybe I haven't even placed a bet yet. Who knows? I can't even find like a game log for the 2009 WNBA season. It's like, this doesn't even exist. That's how long ago it was. We definitely have to find out if that won. And if it didn't, I'm definitely replying to that tweet, Mike, calling you a loser. Trap my record <laughs> on there. I'll get all kind of hate. And Rob, I, 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 let me give you a plug too. I, this is a true story. So I've had a few people, like the guy who is working on football models for me um, and some basketball stuff too. And there's been a couple other people that have asked me, but a couple people have asked me like, can, is there any podcast I can listen to um, where, I could, where I could learn just in general? And I always say... I always say, I don't necessarily say this pod. I don't say circles off. I say find a podcast that Rob Pozzola is on where he's getting questioned about modeling because I align with you. I don't know that you've ever spoken a word about modeling that I haven't agreed with. So um, I, I, I have a ton of respect for your origination abilities. I appreciate that. And I appreciate that you're not promoting Johnny to your friends as well. And instead sending them my way, which is, which is nice. Cause we don't want him to have too big of an ego and flip that, that billion dollar coin, but uh, really appreciate your time, Mike. All right. Thanks Rob. Thanks Johnny. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you.